0: Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, everybody. So today we're going to be talking about what makes for bad games of Commander and what you can do to prevent them. So we're going to be going into defining bad games, uh, talking about what can lead to those situations, how you can mitigate them. But before we jump into it, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get cool rewards for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. All right, let's set some parameters for this discussion. First off, is it a bad game? If one person gets wrecked by, like, Mana Screw or Mana Flood, but the other players are able to play fun, interactive magic, would you say that's a bad game or or not?
1: I would say, overall, no. It was not a bad game. Like, I'm so sorry your deck didn't perform. That's happened to me before, where you're like, you keep a three-land hand with spells, Mm -hmm. and then you never get your, like, fourth or fifth land or whatever. Whoops, everyone else is playing magic, and I died.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm. In, I'm inclined to say the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. I think that because it's a multiplayer format, you have to talk about the majority. You can't just rule out every single game where one person stumbles.
1: I mean, like, rip it up, dude. Sorry about that, but like, we can shuffle up again. And I've been part of games where like the stories from that game were great, and my role in that game was like I shuffled up and didn't do anything until I died for five turns, Mm -hmm. and then that was it. Mm -hmm. So,
0: yeah, it just happens. It's just variance. All right, uh, here's another question for you. Is it a bad game if someone combos off extremely early, super cutthroat, but the playgroup expects competitive play like that?
1: No, I, I would actually say not. I think this is the whole point of like CEDH as a format is like everyone's going in with like, I cranked my deck to 11. I have a lot of interaction. Let's see who can do this first. And like that's a very like well-loved sub format, I guess, mm-hmm. of Commander. I think that that's totally fine. And I, I've played games where like we go like, all right, let's bring out strong decks. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, you, you got us. And it's like turn six or whatever. And yeah you know, it's, that that's fine. We all have a good time. I think that's good
0: given those parameters i think our definition of a bad game like for the purpose of this discussion is one in which the majority of players feel like their expectations were not met and they were dissatisfied with the result yeah i, I would uh, very
1: much agree with that
0: let's talk about what leads to most players being dissatisfied one way that might happen is like most players didn't get to play magic or their deck didn't get to do its thing Another way that players might be dissatisfied are like when the winner feels predetermined, like right the moment you sit down at the table and reveal commanders, and like everyone dogpiles on that player, but the favorite is still able to pull out a win. And then it just felt like everything was like futile. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't feel good at all. So let's try to break those two situations down into like their potential causes. Players. Don't get to play Magic. Well, that can happen if most players get screwed by variants. So it's not just one person at the table. It's stumbling on lands. It's Mm -hmm. like multiple people are just not able to get their decks running. Yeah, There could be an issue with like everyone's decks has a ton of answers and not enough threats. I've been there before. Yeah. So like as soon as anyone plays anything, it dies. And then there's just this stall, this stalemate. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Another problem is like, Mana denial or like mass discard just makes it so that you can't do anything. Either you can't cast your spells, or you don't have any spells to cast. And again, it's like stalemate. No way to break through it. Yeah,
1: I don't know if anyone has ever tried to play through a turn two Sire of Insanity, but it's a, uh, it's hefty. Mm-hmm. It's a hell of a time. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's pretty. It's a lot. Okay, another issue is one or more decks took up most of the play time. Through like non-determinant combos, repeated extra turn effects, like if you play a one-hour game and one person like played for thirty minutes, yeah, yeah, and the others don't get to do nearly as much, that also doesn't feel like a great game. Yeah, uh, and then finally, like one or more decks was just way way faster than the others, and won before their opponents could do anything. Some of these can be addressed with like how you're just building your deck and like we can give you some tips for how to accomplish that Mm -hmm. but others are really going to require communication with your group yeah that'll be sort of a separate discussion but like variants that's going to be a part of every game of magic so we'll talk about how we can make it less likely that you get screwed or flooded or color screwed or anything yeah exactly and like answers and threats are a part of any game of magic. You can't really tell somebody you're playing too many board wipes my deck can't do its thing because like we all agree there's some level of board wipes that are fine and like trying to judge that degree to which like how many is too many is is really difficult especially with multiple opponents. I think that the best way to handle that is just to build your deck so it's resilient to those and we'll give you some examples of how you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. So first, let's talk about the things that you can do to your own decks just to make it so that you play fewer non-games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So number one is how to avoid getting screwed by variants. How would you go about doing this, Zach? Yes, I mean, the the first
1: thing, and I think the thing that most players kind of run into when you talk about variants in Magic is just mana bases. So mana math can be kind of hard sometimes, uh, and... At the same time, lands are, like, the unsexiest cards in your deck. Like, Mm -hmm. there might be a cool land that has, like, an activated ability, like. But, like, we all know shocks are good because you need them to play. But you're not like, oh, yeah, I'm running. Godless Shrine. Yeah, like, you're not like, oh, yeah, I'm so glad this is in here. So people, a lot of the time, are incentivized to, like, oh, I want to cut a card. uh, I'll just cut a land. Mm -hmm. And then you do it again. And then you do it again and then all of a sudden you have like 33 lands in Mm -hmm. your deck and maybe one of them is like a Temple of the False God or something. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the first one. Just making sure, like I I have just like a general rule where if I have a deck, I always start with like a minimum of 37 lands and I just don't touch them. I just Mm -hmm. put them inside and I go, I might want more if I'm like a crazy ramp deck or something, but I am not going to touch these at this point anymore. And that helps with that too. But there's some other stuff you can do too.
0: So another thing you can do is to prevent yourself from getting color screwed. And this is really important. As soon as you start getting into three plus colors, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you just need to have enough dual lands to make sure that you can get access to the colors you need every game. And you also want the, the balance to be appropriate for what you're going on. So like my rule of thumb that I typically use when figuring out the balance of my mana base is like counting up mana symbols and then figuring out the ratio between those symbols of different colors, and then trying to match that with what my lands are producing. And then, of course, there's a little bit of wiggle room, like, oh, I might have less white, but it's also way more important that I hit it early in the game, and so you can tinker from it from there. But that's, like, a pretty good rule of thumb. So a question you might be having is, like, how many is enough dual lands? Honestly, when I'm running three-plus color decks, I don't run more than, like, six basics? Uh, yeah, this is a actually a contentious thing in our current metagame is how many basics to run. Especially given that your commander is three colors and that's the card that most of the time your deck needs to cast, mm-hmm. you just need to be able to make that happen. And it doesn't have to be like, I'm running you know, every fetch I possibly can and revise dual lands. No, it's more like, even if you're running things like Evolving Wilds, Terramorphic Expanse, like random tap lands... It's okay if you're running like more budget options, but you really need to make sure that you can get your colors if you have a three-color deck and a three-color commander. And then like as you get into four and five-color decks, you may not be running any basics at all. That's how I would go about doing it. For two-color decks, it gets a little less the onerous. Only,
1: I think the only like exception to this is when you are using land-based ramp. Mm-hmm. So like if you're in a green three color identity like xx green xy green something like that you're given a little bit more leeway because if you draw circuitous route or whatever card it is you're gonna get the mana you need so like i think you have a little more leeway in green color identities to run more basics because you're gonna want to fetch them out a little bit and like get going but if i'm like in a grixis color identity your ramp isn't coming from your lands mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form. Like your lands just need to be there so you can cast the little pips in the corner of your cards. Yeah. Like meet that that expectation. And the last thing I think actually on this is be careful how many utility lands you're running. There's a lot of really good colorless utility lands. And if you're in like a three, four, five color deck, you can't you're you're not able to run yeah. a lot of
0: those. Oh no. I, I would run like, zero to one yeah. lands that tap for colorless in a five-color deck.
1: Exactly. Like, th- yeah, it's nice to have Strip Mine, but, like...
0: If you can't cast your commander...
1: Yeah, then it, then what's the point? Like, then you're not even gonna get to play the game, so... Mm-hmm. Be wary of, like, how many Strip Mine effects, or, like, Garage Sanitarium, or Hall the Bandit Lord you have in your deck, because... It's um, a real cost, it and, is- like,
0: the cost is mostly meaningless if you're in, like, a monocolor deck. Yeah. And that's one of the benefits of running monocolor is that you have so many slots to play with in your mana base for utility lands, mm-hmm. but you definitely do not when you're running four-plus colors. Yep,
1: yep, it gets real bad.
0: One other thing I want to mention is, like, in addition to your mana base, there's also a way you can structure your main deck to so that you get bitten by variance less. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so just cheap effects that you can cast off of just a couple of lands that'll help you decrease your odds of getting mana screwed if you're in red that might be in rummaging effects like okay i've got two lands and a tormenting voice so i'm actually seeing more cards i'm more likely to hit my third fourth land or if you're in blue like that might be in a ponder or preordain just like cheap things that you can use to sculpt your draws and help you get out of a screw or a flood but those are some tips for how you can avoid getting hit by variants I've got a lot to say about this next one. Yeah, go for it. This is a very common problem in Commander. The decks being played have a lot of answers and not enough threats. What are some good ways you can avoid getting screwed by all these answers that you are able to keep threats on the board or avoid getting four for one by a Wrath of God or how how do you play (laughs) around all this removal?
1: The first thing is just not necessarily to care about it because if your creatures have like ETB effects, then you kind of already got your value that you wanted out of them. It's one of the reasons that, like, Ravenous Chupacabra is so good. It enters, it blows up a creature, and, okay, oh, yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I got most of what I wanted out of this deal already.
0: Yeah, if you trade for a removal spell after that, then you've, like, 2 for one them. Yep. Another strategy that I really like, especially if I'm trying to build an aggressive deck, is run cards that generate a lot of threats at once. For example, like, Avenger of Zendikar makes a plant token for each land you control and then buffs those plants. Or in a deck with a lot of anthems, like a token generator like Conqueror's Pledge that'll make six guys for five mana. It's just super efficient, gets a ton of threats on the board, and makes it so that like spot removal is like way, way less appealing. It basically necessitates a board wipe to deal with these kind of canned armies. And if you're trading one for one with board wipes, then you're in a much better position than if it's like, I'm going to play a two drop creature, a three drop creature, a four drop creature, a five drop creature, and then my opponent casts Fumigate or whatever. So that's another good strategy. There's a third strategy I can think of that'll make it so that you're not quite as vulnerable to removal. This is my favorite one,
1: actually. So this is recursion. When you are in a meta that's very removal heavy, just having recursion goes so far because you go, I play my ravenous stupid copper, I blow up your guy, someone goes wrath. You go, okay, well now I'm going to just use my volrath stronghold, end of your turn, put it on top again, there you go, and you got your card back. Same with like Phyrexian Reclamation, I really love Genesis for this reason, so Genesis, Mm -hmm. when it's in your graveyard, you can pay two and a green on your upkeep to return a creature to your hand. There's a ton of recursion engines in all the colors now, too. White has too. some things it can do. Yeah, that's one of the axes I hope they build on in white. But recursion engines just go so far in just making it so you can get through the game, scrape by those extra like little bits of resources, and just actually play a game of Magic.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, we've got uh, three more things that we're going to talk about. So these are mana denial... One person taking up a bunch of the playtime with like non-determinant combo or repeated extra turn effects. Or one or more decks just being way more fast than the others and winning before their opponents can do anything. In order to talk about these three things, we need to pull back a little bit and talk about perceptions not aligning between the players. Each player having different expectations for the game and some people getting frustrated when their expectations aren't met.
1: I mean, we talked about a little bit on this before... Most commonly happens when you sit down with a new group of people, usually at, like, a card shop or something, and you ask the question, or someone asks the question, on a scale of 1 to 10, how strong is your deck? I mean, we've talked before on the show, like, that doesn't mean anything. Currently, there is no way to, like, objectively quantify your deck power level, so you're gonna just hear oh, it's a seven, because no one wants to say like, oh, my deck is really powerful. And no one wants to go, oh, my deck is really bad. Like sometimes you hear like, oh, no, this is a jank deck or no, this is bad. And that they're being honest and they built around a theme. And then if you're playing CDH, everyone knows you're playing CDH. So a lot of this section doesn't apply there because you know what you're sitting down to do. But like I said, seven doesn't mean anything. So what I would recommend for people to do is to ask questions that you can kind of infer information from. So the question I've been asking the most lately is how much fast mana is in your deck? Are you running Mana Vault, Mana Crypt, Grim Monolith, like that kind of stuff? Do you win by attacking? Like, are you winning by, like, playing 4-4 Beast Tokens and, like, attacking every turn? Or are you winning by comboing off somehow? Like, something like that's a pretty pretty reasonable question to ask. Like, is this going to be, like, an attacking kind of game? Or is this going to be a combo kind of game? hmm interaction like do you run a lot of ways to stop combo and just trying to get that perception good because sometimes I've sat down with people and went like oh how do you guys feel about combo and they go oh it's fine but no one has a way to stop combo it was like a very casual meta so Mm -hmm. like the one guy just kept winning every time and it's like well it doesn't have to be like this you all look very upset at this and then just are you running a lot of resource denial like are you cool with Armageddon
0: yeah, and it's worth mentioning, like, there are a couple different levels of how people feel about mass land destruction. There is on the one hand the people who are just never ever cast an Armageddon or you're not gonna get invited back. In our playgroup, to an extent, it's seen as like a legitimate way to end the game. Like if you are able to Armageddon and then win within a couple turns of that, as long as you're limiting the amount of post Armageddon time, it's probably okay. And then there's mm-hmm. C E D H where it's like hmm, I have a Crucible out. If I Armageddon, I will probably win many turns from now. Yeah. And like everyone's cool with the idea that we're just not going to have lands for five turns while this guy slowly builds up his resources. Mm -hmm.
1: Basically, I would really, really strongly recommend you, as someone going to a new shop or a new place, stop asking what power level is your deck questions and just start asking more general questions that'll kind of give you a better view of what the game you're about to play is going to be and like one more thing about this you're going to get people who either are like not super into answering these questions they're like why do you want to know it's not like i'm going to go and like change my deck based on your answers mm-hmm. to this question like here is my deck's right here in front of you like i just want to make this a good game you're going to run into that sometimes and you're not going to be able to do anything about that the other one you're not going to be able to do anything about is there is just a subset of people that just kind of want to pub stomp And so they're gonna sit down, and you're gonna ask these questions, and they go, "It's got, it's got some, a little bit of mana." And you go, "Okay, well, like, how do you normally win?" And they're like, "I win with creatures." And you're like, "Oh, okay." And then it's just a crazy, well-tuned partner deck, and they combo off like really fast. Yeah, like that's gonna happen too. Like, basically, Magic has variance in the cards that you draw and the people you play with, Mm -hmm. and uh, there's gonna be some amount of that you can't get rid of.
0: In the same way that Mana Denial sort of has these three stages of like, don't do it, do it if you're about to win, or like, do it as much as you like. I think there's sort of a similar thing going on with combo, which is some people just detest it. Some people understand like, okay, you know, just demonstrate the loop and then you're good. Yeah. And then other people are like, are okay with these kind of like, eggsy combos. Because like, I've built an eggsy deck, and I think that kind of... Drew the line in my meta it's like okay now we know we shouldn't build these types of decks anymore (laughs) because it got to the point where like somebody had to leave and it's like okay just you continue with your turn nick just text me and tell me if i've won or lost (laughs) that's the line in our meta probably don't want to do those kinds of non-determinant combos but there's other places and other metagames that are totally okay with it that enjoy leaving those lines of play open And so that's just another question you need to have for the other people you're playing with is like, how do you feel about that spectrum? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, yeah, like you said, if one deck is way more tuned than the others, like you got to ask the right questions and figure out if that's the case.
1: Yeah, you will play more better games if you ask specific questions like that. I try to make the fast mana one the first one I ask because that usually is the most Relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one that you can kind of ask is like, do you have duels and fetches and stuff like that? Because usually, like, more budget players won't have a lot of these cards that are expensive and powerful. If they're like, oh, I have shocks and fetches, kind of gives you a little bit more of a sense of the price range and card pool that these players might have available to them. So, like, little questions like that can kind of give you a good sense of this is a deck that will make this game fun for everybody. Which I think actually takes us into, uh, we had a Patreon question.
0: Yes. Do you have any tips on how to recognize when you yourself are doing things that are unsporting or unfun for other players? To what extent are we obligated to make sure others feel good? Or is it on the other player to lose gracefully? So this was Swampy Logs. Thank you, Swampy.
1: Yeah, this is kind of a complicated thing because I think in some regard, having this be a social format there is some amount of this problem that is placed on us like as players some of this burden should be internalized and taken on us but really one of the points that you've kind of gone too far in like policing yourself is like when your deck is no longer doing the thing you want to do when you've taken out a lot of cards that you're like oh this might make someone upset that's the point at which i think you might want to start looking Mm -hmm. at what you're doing compared to what the rest of the table is doing, and maybe actually bring up the conversation with the table saying, maybe something's gotten out of hand here. This play group hasn't been having as like varied of games as it used to, or I haven't been having fun for X reason or something like that.
0: Sometimes the people you're playing with can be really vocal about what the problem is, and then you like overcorrect because of that. There's also the danger of they're all being very polite, and then you might find out that, oh, they're having a game night without me or something like that. And that's when you need to be a lot more introspective and figuring out, like, is this the right thing for my meta? Do I think that other people are having fun? And that's a really tough question,
1: too. Yeah, so there's, I don't think there's, like, a just an easy answer for this. I think this is really, it's meta-dependent, it's person-dependent. And I do think that sore losers do make the game less fun. I've lost games that I was like, oh, man, this is bullcrap, and just was, like, kind of pissed and, like, probably shouldn't have done that. But most of the time, I just try to lose gracefully. After you've been playing Magic long enough, you kind of like are just jaded to most things. And you kind of can go, oh, I lost. Your life is a little bit easier after that. (laughs) Yeah, no,
0: I've definitely like won enough games that I just, it doesn't matter if I win or lose. I I do still get frustrated if like, the, the thing that still gets me these days is if I think my opponents are not being rational if they are going out of their way to, to spite me in a way that like clearly hurts them, that's the one thing that's kind of frustrating. You know, I do a lot of table talk. I like to try to come up with mutually beneficial deals with people. And if people are just like, not hearing that, I don't care. I'm going to mess you over even if I lose as a result. <laughs> that's frustrating. Like like if everyone's behaving rationally, I, I can't get mad.
1: Sometimes I have to police switch deck I play based on that, too, because I'll know, like, when I play Feather, like, Feather is very commander-dependent, so if the table just kind of gangs up and goes, okay, like, all three of us are going to kill Feather once, Feather's going to cost, like, nine, and then Zach's kind of out of the game, like, that can be unfun for me, but I kind of brought it on myself, because it's like, okay, well, they are behaving rationally. This is messed up what's happening when Feather's here, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you have to be aware of, like, when your opponents are being rational, so you can kind of, like, Calm yourself down and be like, "I would have made the same play too." Oh no, that that makes sense from their perspective. Like that—that's kind of hard to do sometimes because you are like, "But I want to play my feather deck." But I—I <laughs> th- I think that's a good rule of thumb: is to kind of slow down, be like, "Okay, like, was I targeted, or is it reasonable that this happened?" Just kind of finding little little reality anchors. To kinda pull yourself down into.
0: And same if you're the person Doing the blowing up. It's is a good idea to just check yourself and make sure that like what you're doing is the right play and that you're there's not gonna be hurt feelings at the end of it. Yeah. Anyway, just getting back to our, our main topic here, like if you're doing something that like nobody else in your play group ever does, in our meta yeah. do we often see these like ten minute, uninteractive turns? I, I, I've I've taken apart a lot of my decks that did that. Like I had arjun
1: of the shifting flame and that deck would have like heinous turns and like a third of the time i'd kill myself Mm -hmm. because i'd be like oh crap i can only cast three more spells before i draw my whole deck." (laughs) (laughs) in general our play group is pretty good at policing ourselves and just being like okay like if i'm gonna combo i'm gonna do it like this in a way where it like show a loop and not have to like sit there and just absorb time from the rest of the group yeah
0: and and same with like extra turn effects like i've got i think one of every extra turn effect except like capture of jingzao and they're mm-hmm. all just in my binder because like i i know nobody in my playgroup does that and i don't think they'd appreciate it yeah and we're also very lucky to have some people in our playgroup who are like vocal about like what you're doing is messed up man like don't don't do that and and if anything sets them off that's annoying but like this guy is just like vocal and he's like reasonable about it he doesn't have a hair trigger or anything and that's like a really good reality check like okay maybe he's right and i need to think about rebuilding this deck Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i know it's it's very good like again we're really lucky to be able to play in metas that we've had hands in sculpting like Mm -hmm. it's friends who are playing together a lot of these rules and a lot of the conversations and kind of the hard part of magic is that you don't always get to pick who you play with at a shop. Mm-hmm. Hopefully your shop is big enough to where you can kind of change it up. That's not always the case. Magic. Like one of the things that has going for it is it's like, it's a social game. Like you need at least one opponent to play with. It can be hard sometimes to, like, have these conversations, but I think coming in with, like, a rational mind, like, kind of grounding yourself if you're not good at talking to people, kind of pumping yourself up a little bit, and then going, like, well, hey, I'd like to play a game. Like, how much fast mana do you have? I just want to make sure, like, power levels are okay. That's a pretty good start to, like, a pod at a shop. Mm -hmm. And you'll probably have a better game than if you ask, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, like, what is it? And then everyone says 7. I think this is going to just be a chronic problem just because, like, people talking to each other is hard sometimes, but I really do want to drive home that like, there is a lot you can do with your deck building and with your playgroup building, I guess, uh, to just kind of make everyone have a good time without really taking a big dump on yourself or Mm -hmm. your deck. If you really like comboing and you are kind of hated on in your playgroup for that, like, don't leave that playgroup. I'm part of multiple playgroups. That's totally fine, but Maybe you should find some people that are a little more yeah, or okay like cultivate
0: uh, a wide variety of decks so that like some can hang in this group and some can hang in this exactly,
1: group. exactly. I definitely have deck construction constraints based on commander, so I can be like, okay, I know I can play this commander with these people who are more casual, or oh, I can bust out this deck with these people because they know to like deal with these threats and stuff like that.
0: One point that one of our patrons made that I I want to highlight sage in the 805 on our uh, discord server mentioned that the six to seven power level has the most variance and people have the most feel bad moments whereas like Cedh unchains every strategy and card so there's less feel bad because everyone knows what to expect and i want to like elaborate on that a little bit i think that what you said earlier about like everyone thinks there are seven I think that's what leads to the most variance at yeah. the six, seven power oh, level. Oh, yeah. Because everyone thinks they're playing the same game and they really aren't. Whereas, like, everyone understands what a 10 is. Once you talk about the end of the spectrum, there's no confusion about what that means.
1: Yeah. And I think that's why you don't really see these discussions in, like, the CEDH circles, is like, there are some crazy things like you can turn one win especially with flash in the meta like you can just be like all right hey i just walked into this one mm-hmm. and people might not have even played a land yet yep. and but you sat down knowing that was possible like you sat down going like oh i could very easily have a turn one ristic study and play mm-hmm. <laughs> just stuff like that it is the more casual crowd that's going to have a lot more of this problem than uh the more competitive mm-hmm. end of the the spectrum
0: well, that's all we have to talk about today, or at least on this topic. I want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Addison, Arthur, Mason, Will, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Brock, Tom, The White Clays, Aubrey, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Nathan, and Cooper. Thank you all for keeping the lights on here in the studio. It's because of you that we're able to make episodes like this. And if you're a Patreon patron, you get to vote on polls to determine what episodes we record next. And we may feature your questions if you want to ask us questions that we'll answer on the air. If you are not currently a Patreon patron, but would like to become one, you can go to patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check them out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.